Welcome to Walking in Faith with Pastor Rob Currington. This podcast is dedicated to helping develop lifelong seekers of the Kingdom of God. Each week, Pastor Rob helps bring God's message for living to those seeking a richer and more Christ-filled life. Now let's join Pastor Rob as he shares this week's message. Holiness through loving. Leviticus 18 through 27, we've been working our way through it. Let me ask you, well, let's start off with this first. <coughs> Let me ask you, is there such a thing as a victimless crime? Have you ever, how many of you have heard that phrase, victimless crime? Anyone? Well, you just did. So, anyone ever heard of victimless crime? Many believe in victimless crime today. The U.S. legal website defines victimless crimes as a crime that is, a, it's a term that's applied to a crime which generally involves only the criminal and which has no direct victim as in the crime of illegal possession of drugs or prostitution. Victimless crimes must be truly victimless. Now, this thought process that there are victimless crimes have encouraged many different types of deregulation of what used to be considered crimes such as recreational drugs, prostitution, self-abuse, uh, suicide, sister suicide, so on and so forth. However, <coughs> excuse me, as Christians, you and I must understand that crimes, just like sin, always affects others. I would stand and say there are no such things as victimless crimes. Ones who would promote victimless crimes very much would be someone like a libertarian. Uh, you know, someone who believes that uh, you, you should be able to do as long as you can. In other words, I have the freedom to swing my fist, but my freedom to swing my fist stops at the end of your nose. So don't move forward. Well, I would say that both of those, whether it's victimless crimes or the effects of sin, are really very selfish in essence. Now, we started this series by noting that God calls his children to three things. A call to worship, which is the proper response to a creator, the ultimate power of the universe, the one who created us and, and gives us all things. There's also the call to holiness in Leviticus, and that's the proper pursuit uh, as a way of life as God is holy, and he demands that his children are as well. And then as we started to look at last week and as we sung about this morning is that call to obedience. And that's the proper action of a grateful heart to the one who has received mercy. We want to obey. We want to show love and demonstrate love in that way. In Exodus chapter 19, we had read earlier in our study there that God had promised Israel that you, if you indeed obey my voice, and if you will keep my commandment, you shall be my treasured possessions among all peoples. Of all peoples of the earth, you will be my treasured people if you obey. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. So they are to be called out, to consecrate them, to be different, <coughs> to be distinct. And that's what we've been looking at as we look at Leviticus, really a, a strange book, a difficult book for us to understand that Israelites, Israel is called to live differently than the Canaanites, those in which they're about to live among. Now, as they have been redeemed and given instructions on how, on how to approach him in worship, 
Yahweh now prepares them for the culture, the culture clash that is sure to follow as they enter into the promised land. In essence, he's warning them against living as the Egyptians. And last, I forgot last week, we do have an Egyptian in here with us this morning. You can, you can act like her, Lydia there. Uh, but as long as Sean says that's okay. But he's preparing them. He says, don't live as the Egyptians or the Canaanites. He demands that they live as children of God, not as disobedient sons. Now, last week we read God's call to them in Leviticus when he said, uh, you shall be holy for I am holy. Because of the atonement, because of the redemption that's found in Christ, because that's been a gift to you, you shall live holy. He goes on to say to consecrate yourselves and be holy for I am the Lord your God. I am the Lord who sanctifies you. And then lastly, again, in 2026 of Leviticus, he says, you shall be holy to me. For I am the Lord, I am holy, and I have separated you from the peoples that you shall be mine. And that led us to the fifth point, as we see here on the monitor, of why you and I should read Leviticus, a book that's written to an ancient people in a long, far land, a far long time and land, is the fact that it outlines how God's people are to be holy as he is holy. We are live holy as God is holy. Now, as we come to today's passages, you and I are going to read many of the customs, the practices, and the lifestyles that the Israelites were to avoid and those they were to adopt in their pursuit of holiness. So keep in mind, (coughs) their call is to pursue holiness in their life, is to be like God. Because God is holy, you and I are to be holy. Leviticus outlines how Israel was to distinguish itself from the other nations in every aspect of their lives. (coughs) And I'm so sorry about this. As you work your way through the rest of Leviticus and the Old Testament, we read of the many ways the Canaanites were wicked. Their cultures were full of demonic worship and cultic ceremonies. God has given Israel painstaking rituals and instructions on how to approach him in worship, including the sacrifices, the festivals, the cleanliness laws, the holiness code. And they are to remain vigilant in their pursuit of holiness. So that leads us to our passage today, Leviticus chapter 18. Hopefully you're there. In verse 24, we read this last week. It is going to be on the monitor. But we read this last week, but I want to spend a little bit more time on it. In Leviticus 18.24, God says this through Moses. Do not make yourselves unclean by any of these things. And he had already, he's already given him some list of things. For by all these, the nations I am driving out before you have become unclean. The land has become clean so that I punished its iniquity and the land vomited out its inhabitants. Again, just a, 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 just a horrendous word picture there. In verse 26, but you shall keep my statutes and my rules and do none of these abominations, neither the native or the stranger who sojourns among you. For the people of the land who were before you did all of these abominations so that the land became unclean. Verse 28. Unless the land vomit you out when you make it unclean, as it vomited out the nations that was before you. For everyone who does any of these abominations, the persons who do them shall be cut off from among his people. Remember, this was to be cast out of Israel, to be outside of the covenant promises of God. So in verse 30, so keep my charge never to practice any of these abominable customs that were practiced before you. 
and never to make yourselves unclean by them. I am the Lord your God. Let's pray. <coughs> Father, we just come before you, and I first I ask if you could just calm this, this cough that we may be able to present your word without distraction. And Father, I pray that you just help us to concentrate as we work through it. We thank you for your word. Let us realize that even a book of Leviticus is relevant to us today, written to an ancient people in a land far from us in a time so foreign to us that we don't understand many of its concepts and customs. Father, we struggle with making it appropriate for today, but let us realize that it is your word, and from it you are calling us to be holy. So be with us as we consider your words. I pray that your spirit would have free reign. And Father, that we would respond to how your spirit calls us. We praise the name of Christ. Amen. So as we read here, Israel is called to live differently than the Canaanites. I think you got that. I think I've gotten that across. Have I not? I think I'm going to say it a couple more times. (laughs) But as God's chosen people... They were to reflect the character and the person of God in their worship, their vocation, their relationships, and even in their entertainment, the way in which they would entertain themselves. Yahweh knows exactly the difficulties that will occur once Israel enters and settles into the promised land. The lure and the enticement of their neighbor's lifestyle would be very difficult to resist. And as we know from scriptures, the Israelites did not obey God. And they eventually failed in their pursuit of holiness. Paul warns in 1 Corinthians 15, that God teaches a, an important passage that you need to grab and you need to teach your t- children. It says, do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. And we need to understand that you cannot wrestle with pigs and not get muddy. You cannot play with fire and not get burned. And you cannot entertain sin and not be stained. To combat this human tendency to mission drift in our call to holiness. God gives them some regulations for holy living. As you may recall from last week, these regulations are centered on loving God and loving others. Would you please turn to Leviticus 19, I think just one chapter over. Yahweh has, always, has already <coughs> referenced his commands with the phrase, I am the Lord your God indicating that their obedience is predicated on remembering his love and his mercy and his grace. Thank you so much. My only worry is doing this is I'm going to cough and spit this all up. So you may want to make sure you're at least in the third row. Yeah, third row and back. (coughs) So he indicates that their, their obedience is predicated on remembering his love and his mercy and his grace and delivering them from the clutches of the Egyptians and redeeming them from the yoke of slavery that we read in Exodus. He now calls them not only to express their obedience in loving him, but also into loving others. Look at verse 17 of Leviticus 19. He says, You shall not hate your brother in your heart, but you shall reason frankly with your neighbor, lest you incur sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people. And now you're about to see a phrase very familiar. But you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. This passage is the most quoted Old Testament passage in the New Testament. 
Jesus himself taught that loving your neighbor as yourself was the second greatest commandment. The Apostle John wrote that loving one another was actually one of the marks of a genuine believer. He writes, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. He would go on to say, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever love has been born of God and knows God. And anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. But what does it mean to love your neighbor as yourself? And I think that's the missing part. Because we've mistaken what it means to love your neighbor as yourself. Many of us think of the golden rule. In Hinduism, the golden rule states, this is the sum duty. Do not do unto others what you would, have not, would not have them do unto you. So that's, that's almost the negative side. Don't do to somebody else what you wouldn't want to do that makes sense, right? Okay, don't punch someone if you don't want them to punch you back. Now, others might pervert it to say, well, do unto others before you do, they do it unto you. But Jesus said, so whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. So he reverses it and makes it more of a positive statement. In other words, don't do what you won't, don't want them to do back, but do what you would be willing to receive back. But even there, as many people have heard me say over the years, People can still take this charge and command and really make it about themselves. And that's important. What do you mean? Well, we love others so that they will love us. Again, we do good to others so that they'll do good to us. What's at the center of all that? Us. You. Just like victimless crime. I want to do what I want to do. It doesn't hurt anyone. It's yourself. When we, we sin, it's because we want to find pleasure. We want to find satisfaction. That's all sin is. It's finding satisfaction outside of God's promises. That's all it is. It's accepting the false promises of Satan who says, well, I can give you what God offers, but I can give you to for less work, cheaper and quicker. And by the way, he does. It's alluring. We take it but it's false, as you and I know. So what does it mean to love one another as our neighbor? I think a better way to think of it is to love your neighbor is to seek their happiness, to seek their welfare, to seek their success. Now listen to this, because this will help you understand what I'm about to say, is to seek their holiness as much, if not more, than you seek yourselves. So let me say it again. To love your neighbor is to seek their happiness, their welfare, their success, and their holiness as much as you seek it for yourself. Now that changes the love your neighbor to more of what Jesus is trying to tell us here as we think through it. It's to understand that when we sin, our sin affects others. When we, when we do a crime, it affects others, whether you think they're involved or not. As Yahweh prepares Israel to enter into the promised land, he understands the dangers that await them. Not only from the Canaanites and the fact of war, not the fact of their influence on their lives, bad companies, corrupt, good morals, 
but also from inside their own hearts. Because we are what? Prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. One of the ways that God has called us to pursue holiness is to love our neighbors. When you and I truly love others, seek their holiness as much as we seek our own, we seek their good. And we seek to protect them from sin and we refuse to engage them in the pursuit of our own sin and selfish satisfaction. This charge to love your neighbors yourself, <coughs> excuse me, is going to take the form of three general themes as we look at 20, uh, chapter 18 through 27. Sexual integrity, care for the poor, and justice for all people. If you're taking notes, the first one is you and I are to pursue holiness, okay? Keep that in mind. This is all about pursuing holiness. You and I are to pursue holiness by loving others, by living in sexual integrity. Scripture describes the Canaanites as very immoral with no regard for purity or moral behavior. Throughout Scripture and even in secular history, we can read that their depravity knew no bounds. Yahweh knows the power of sex and he warns the Israelites not to be seduced into their wicked ways. Now, some of these things that you see as you work through 18 to 27 is some of their despicable abominations were things like uh, not honoring familiar relationships, sex within the family, homosexuality, bestiality, adultery, and child sacrifice. I don't think it's necessary for you and I to dwell on these warnings and commands. They're pretty much self-explanatory. But you and I must not dismiss these commands as old-fashioned, strange, or silly. You and I live in a world that is absorbed in sexual sins. It touches every area in our lives. And let me tell you, no one is immune to its lure, even your young child that has a cell phone with the internet. Turn to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 3, real quickly, if you would, please. As well as staying there in Leviticus. <coughs> you and I understand it's almost impossible to avoid the enticement of sex and the power and the lure it has. Sex has now become the highest personal right, especially here in the United States. And it must be recognized. It is the object of the world's admiration, and it's the focus of our entertainment, the focus of our advertisements, of our individuals, of our group identity, as well as the center of all the political, religious, and cultural wars. It is sex is our highest personal liberty and right. And like the ancient children of God, you and I are called to not only to avoid the sexual compromise of the world, but also he's called us to expose it for what it really is, an affront to God's creation design. Look at verse 3 of Ephesians 5. <coughs> he says, but sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not be even named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, no foolish talk, no crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. 
For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexual immoral or impure or whose covetousness, that's an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. What he's saying there, they have no right to God's salvation. This is the cost. Let no one deceive you in verse 6 with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. It says, therefore, do not become partners with them. For at one time you were in darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. The fruit of light is found in all that is good and true and right. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord in verse 11. But take no part in the unfruitful work of darkness, but instead expose or reprove them. You see, what you and I need to understand is that when we pursue our own sexual desires and satisfaction outside of God's creative design, you and I are involving others in, in a pursuit that is, self, that is selfish, that is sinful. And you and I need to recognize at that point, not only are we not pursuing our own holiness, but we're not pursuing their own holiness. Could you imagine that? Imagine if you had your wife and children and you were in a car accident or maybe you're hiking in the woods. You fell off a cliff and maybe they're tied on a rope with you. And you know that your own weight is going to pull them over the side, that the rope can no longer hold. Maybe the branch or whatever it's anchored to is ready to fail. What would you do? Would you take them all over or would you cut the rope? But there's so many of us that are not only not cutting the rope and we're taking our families over the side and others with us in our pursuit of sexual sin, but we're holding on to the rope with both hands with our feet firmly placed against the side of the mountain and we're pulling them off. To pursue holiness as God's children is to love our neighbors by living with sexual integrity in God's design. Your sexual satisfaction pursuits include others whether it's in an affair, emotional or physical, or whether men or women, it's just between you and a screen. It involves others. Sin is not victimless. You and I must understand this. Number two, loving our neighbors in our pursuit of holiness means caring for the poor. Let's take it a little bit down a little bit. Yahweh knew that life would be hard for some in the promised land. And though it was described as a land flowing with milk and honey, it was still a land that's cursed by the effects of sin. Drought, famine, invading insects, so on and so forth. And not only would some be adversely affected by natural disasters, but there's also the human element to consider bad and poor decisions, laziness, or just plain providence of God. To combat this and to keep them from hardening their hearts towards their brothers, their sisters, and their cousins, Yahweh calls them to care for the poor. Look at Leviticus chapter 19. Hopefully you kept your finger there. <coughs> Look at verse 9. <clears throat> God commands this. 
He says, when you reap the harvest of your land, <clears throat> you shall not reap your field right up to its edge. You can imagine maybe a square. He says, don't go all the way to the edge. Neither shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest, anything that fell, anything that was left behind. And you shall not strip your vineyard bare. Neither, or, or instead, he says, you shall gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. You shall lead them for the poor and the sojourner. I am the Lord. In other words, in those days, as they would handpick all things, they, you know, they, there was, you know, don't go all the way to the edge. Leave some there. So anybody that's walking by could grab some. You see Jesus and his disciples doing this in the New Testament and be criticized for it because it was on the Sabbath. And we won't go through that story, but I think you're familiar with it. Not only that, as you went through, he says, if they were to drop a kernel, don't go back and pick it up. Just leave it for someone who is walking. Why? Because there's going to be the poor. Leave that for there. It was a social safety net, so to speak, for them. This act of loving their neighbor also serves to remind them that once they too were poor and sojourners themselves, living in the wilderness, living off the love and the mercy and the grace of God who provided meat and bread for them and water out of a rock. As you read through scriptures, you see that there are many passages that deal with loving the poor and the outclass, including your own family. He says, if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for the members of the households, he denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. In other words, we're to provide for our family. And then I believe that's your extended family as well. For those that are in need, help them if you're able to. He also says in our church community in Acts chapter 4, we see in the New Testament, a New Testament love in action as we read that there was a no needy person among them. Why? Because they would sell what they have and they would distribute to one another to where even a man named Barnabas, the first one who went out with the Apostle Paul. He's known as the son of encouragement who sold an extra house he had. How he had an extra house, I don't know. Wanted a monopoly or something, I don't know. But he sells it and he takes it and he gives it to the church and says, help those in need. And we as a church, we do that as well with our deacons fund. And it's to help those among us that are in need. And I would encourage you, as you have extra, give to the deacons fund so that we can help those among us. But he also says that we're also to help other church believers outside the community. Paul writes how the churches of Macedonia and Achaia were pleased to make some contribution to the poor among the church of Jerusalem. But not only that, you and I are to pursue holiness by loving our neighbors, by caring for the poor. It includes our community at large. Those many times we neglect to see, avoid, Galatians says, so then, as you have opportunity, let us do the good to everyone, especially to those in the household of faith. Jesus said, whoever has two tunics, two clothing, is to share with one who has none, and whoever has food is to do likewise. Scripture teaches us in Proverbs that whoever oppresses a poor man insults his maker, but he who is generous to the needy honors him. See, you and I have a wrong way of looking at the poor among us. Whether it's the homeless that are in need right here in this community right here, or those that are just struggling, making it day to day, that are just trying to survive. Turn to James chapter 2, but keep your finger there in Leviticus as well. 
James chapter 2, loving our neighbors by caring for the poor, means that our job, and this is something important because this is where the government fails and many fails, that our job, our goal is not to eliminate poverty, but to alleviate the effects of poverty. You see, it is true that Jesus said that you'll always have the poor with you. There will always be those that are in need. But his brother James also accuses the church that they have dishonored the poor man. In verse 14 of James chapter 2, I pray that you're there. He says, what good is it, my brothers? If someone says he has faith, he has a trust in God, but does not have works, works of obedience, works of loving their neighbor. He can, can, can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and they're lacking in daily food, and one of you says, go in peace, be warmed and be filled without giving them the things needed for the body. What good is that? That's just practical. Just practical. So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Someone say, you have faith and I have works. He says, show me your faith apart from works and I will show you my faith by works. If you trust in Christ, if you've received his glory, if you've received his forgiveness and his provision, he calls us to do the same to those in need. The scripture also teaches us especially to care for the widows and the orphans. And you and I would do well to take the scripture seriously and to pursue holiness by loving our neighbor and caring for the poor and needy. It means you need to open your eyes and see them as made in the image of God. Then thirdly, is you and I pursue holiness by loving our neighbors, by seeking justice. Look at Leviticus chapter 19, verse 11. <coughs> and again, I'm just looking at... Uh, particular passage of scripture. I'm not giving you exclusive of these three things, but I'm giving you a taste of some of the laws and customs they're to adopt. In verse 11 of chapter 19, he says, you should not steal, you should not deal falsely, you should not lie to one another. Really just reiterating the Ten Commandments. He says, you should not swear by my name falsely, you shall and so profane the name of the Lord. I am your God. You shall not oppress your neighbor or rob him. The wages of a hired worker shall not remain with you until night, until morning. In those days you would work and they would pay you at the end of the night so they could go to the market and buy. It wasn't uh, getting paid bi-weekly or salary or things of that nature. You should not curse the deaf or put a stumbling block before the blind, but you shall fear your God, I am the Lord. In chapters 18 through 27, as you're working your way through that, I pray that you are during this series. You will read God reiterate not only the Ten Commandments, but also other civil laws to regulate their new life in the promised land. Pursuing holiness means loving your neighbors, and that means keeping and seeking justice. You see, God is justice. The psalmist sings that the Lord sets enthroned forever. He has established his throne for justice and he judges the world with righteousness. He judges the people with uprighteousness. But he goes on to promise that the Lord is a stronghold for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. In Deuteronomy 32, Moses will sing, For I will proclaim the name of the Lord, ascribe greatness to our God, the rock. His work is perfect, for all his ways are 
justice, a God of faithfulness and without iniquity, just and upright is his. You and I see justice when we recognize, and get this, when you and I recognize and treat all people, no matter what race or creed, no matter where they're from, no matter their age, in the womb or outside the womb, when we treat all people as made in the image of God. Again, I believe in this political world when we're talking about throwing racists and Nazis and bias and prejudice. The problem is, is we as God's people need to see all people as made in the image of God. If our political ideas, if our cultural ideas do not begin with them, that person made in the image of God, not where they were born, not what color they are, not what sex they are, or what they identify as. If we do not begin as they are made in the image of God, you and I will fail down the road. You can say amen on that one. Or oh me, either one. We see justice when we obey the commands of God and we trust in his promises. Look at chapter 19 of Leviticus, look at verse 15. God commands, you shall do no injustice in court. You shall not be partial to the poor. Now, there's some political things there we were not going to debate now. Or defer to the great. But in righteousness, you shall judge your neighbor. You shall not go around as a slander among your people. You shall not stand up against the life of your neighbor. I am the Lord. You shall not hate your brother in your heart. You shall not reason frankly with your neighbor, lest you incur, incur, incur sin because of him. In loving our neighbor, let us commit in seeking and living out justice, true justice that honors our neighbors and reflects the character of God. Our pursuit of holiness means that you and I will live in sexual integrity, that we'll care for the needy, and that we will seek and live with justice. Now, you and I know that all these things are going to be imperfect in this world, right? Until Christ comes, returns, and makes all things new. However, that does not mean that we sit idly by and allow these things to continue without following the commands of Christ. Pursuing holiness, loving our neighbor, means that you and I in some way are going to have to become involved, engaged with all people. And God has taken account of how you and I are loving them. Again, these passages, these commands are given to the Israelites to prepare them as they enter the promised land. God knew the culture shock, the wickedness that would surround them. He knew that they would struggle with pursuing holiness, just like you and I do. Many times you and I view God's commands as burdensome, difficult, controlling, irrelevant to our times, and even antiquated. However, God's commands are for our protection against the works of Satan, our preparation for our fight against sin. And I'm going to have to smile. I had to alliterate this just for Dustin. It's our prescription for our heavenly home, and I could not help myself but promote the glory of God. They're not just out there just to make your life miserable, but to prepare you for Christ. 
turn to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. We're done with Leviticus. Turn to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. Just as Israel was about to face a world that's going to be hostile to their faith, their customs and their laws, so do you and I today. You and I looked at this when we studied 1 Peter. We live in a world that's hostile to our faith. We live in a world in which the culture wars are bearing down on Christianity. We live in a day when politically, I'm not quite sure how much longer we would be able to continue with this property and these buildings as you see the change, things change. Uh, one of the first things, and this is uh, an editorial, I shouldn't say it, but one of the first things Nancy Pelosi said that she's going to do is put in a law to... to uh, um, to, uh, to blunt the Freedom of Worship Act. It's called the Equality Act, in which we will no longer be able to say certain things and promote certain things. Not sure how it's going to turn out. Not sure if it will be passed. But we have to understand there's a world that's hostile to the things we face. The age of the Canaanites still live very much in the United States of America and the rest of the world. But in the same way, that the Israelites were to pursue holiness by loving their neighbors. By the way, that does not mean we stop loving our neighbors. We are to also love our neighbors. In 1 Peter chapter 2, Peter reminds the believers, look at verse 9. He says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but what does he say? But now you have received mercy. And I pray that you stand here today in the mercy of God and not in your own works. But in verse 11, he says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. And keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, that they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. And, and I would just direct you to their website, to the passage, when we preached about that. I won't go more into detail. Other than we are called to be holy as God is called. We live in a world that's hostile to our faith, but we're still called to love our neighbors. Even when there are enemies, even when they're hostile to us, we're to love them. That very love for them will, will track them, will draw them. It's the fragrance, it's the aroma of Christ. You and I need to remember that we do live in a Romans chapter 1 world. And in that chapter, the Apostle Paul describes the inhabitants of the world who stand condemned, just as the Canaanites were then. One day they too will be vomited out of the land. Paul describes the world today as those who do not see fit to acknowledge God. So God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manners of unrighteous evil, covetousness, malice. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliceness. They're gossipers, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, and ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree, that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but understand this, they give approval to those who practice them. In this passage, we see the warning that the Israelites will eventually fail to heed 
But you and I cannot. You and I must not approve the sin and the wickedness of the world. We must not accept the false promises of Satan who seeks to destroy and paralyze the believer. And you and I must not adopt the practices of this world. It has been said many times that God is more concerned <coughs> with your holiness <coughs> excuse me, than your happiness. <coughs> Let me say it once again. God is more concerned with your holiness than your happiness. If you're sitting here today, if you're like most people, including me, you want to be happy. So you pursue things to make you happy, to satisfy your appetites. But do not be like the Canaanites, for they were judged. Instead, God said, pursue holiness by loving your neighbors. For us, it means loving our neighbors with sexual integrity, by caring for the poor, and seeking justice for all. That almost sounded like a Superman thing, didn't it? DC is greater than Marvel, just by the way. You, you can take that and put that down there, yes. Instead of approving, accepting, and adopting the wicked custom and cares and conventions of the world, the Apostle Paul calls us to a higher standard. I'm going to direct your attention to the monitor, Titus 2, 11 through 13. The grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself to redeem us from all unlawlessness and to purify himself, a people for his own possession, zealous for good works. In this passage, you and I are going to see two things that you and I are to do while we wait for Christ's return. Number one, you and I need to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. Keep that verse up there if you would, Jake. We're to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. That means you and I are to renounce and resist the promises of this world. Understanding that seeking our own happiness involves bringing others into sin. There's no victimless crime. There's no victimless sin. But also he's called us to live self-controlled, upright, and godly. You and I are to prepare and to protect our heart as we live in a world that's hostile to our faith. That's different. That lives different from the commands of God. John MacArthur notes that God, listen to this, that God transforms the Christian's whole life, not merely his religious credo. What does that mean? It means that God transforms your thinking, your heart, your desires, your aspirations, the way that you spend your money, the way that you entertain yourself, the way that you live. Not just the way you think, just not the way you vote, but he transforms your whole life. I remember just real quickly a, a, a fun story from the Crusades. Brutal time. Don't want to make a, a comment on other than that it was a brutal time. Believe they were doing the work of God. But knowing that they were going into battle to fight the infidels, they would bring in everyone in and all the soldiers, they would be baptized so they can go and fight for the glory of the king and for the pope and for Christ. But a fun story is they would baptize them, but they would leave their right hand up in the air. 
So as they would pour them into water or maybe immerse them, they'd keep their right hand free. And that was so they didn't want this hand baptized because this was the hand that would hold the sword. And they didn't want this sword baptized and Christianized. They want this sword to go out there and fight. Now, I did have a pastor once that said that we as Baptists, and I'm a Baptist, by the way, it might be surprising, but I'm a Baptist, that said that we as Baptists and Christians do the same thing, except we hold it up so our wallets don't get uh, baptized, but that's beyond the point. But if you're here and you just believe the things of God and it hasn't transformed your life, if you're not pursuing holiness by loving your neighbor, then I'm telling you, it's just a creed. You do not get in heaven by passing a 10-point question. It's not just a quiz. It's not just saying all the right words. It's a transformed life. Thank you. The problem is there's too many professing Christians who sit here and agree what has been written in God's word. And you even agree with the public teaching and interpretation of the word, but you're still failing to pursue holiness by loving your neighbors. And that is what I'm calling you to do today. Not by my own power and might, my own opinion, but by what God's word has said. Pursue holiness by loving your neighbors as yourself. You and I still seek to satisfy ourselves in spite of the cost to ourselves and others and our families, our marriages, our world is being torn apart for our selfish pursuit of sin and satisfaction. Let me close with this last piece of scripture. It's found here in Micah 6, 8 on the monitor. God has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? Would you pursue holiness today with all abandon, despite all circumstances and any consequences, by loving your neighbors, by living with sexual integrity, by caring for the poor and by seeking justice. Pursue it with all that you are. For then we're truly obeying and loving the God who calls us children. Every head bowed, every eye closed for a moment as the worship team comes up. I'd like for you to just take a moment to pause and consider what was spoken today. And then call you to pray, Lord, in what way would you want me to respond? Am I truly pursuing holiness or pursuing happiness? Are you pursuing satisfaction in the promises of God or in the false promises of Satan? Are you pursuing holiness by loving others truly? By seeking their satisfaction, their holiness, as much as you seek your own? Or are they just objects meant to satisfy your own appetites? Whatever the Spirit may call, I pray that you'd respond. Confess and repent of sin. Turn and follow Christ. Commit your heart to loving God and loving your neighbor. Would you do so this morning? I'm going to ask our worship team, they're going to sing here a song, but I'll ask our 
Our elders will be up here, Randy and um, Landon, if they could be up here in the front, if you'd like a matter of prayer. Maybe you have a question, maybe a clarification of what the message was. Maybe you're not sure of what your next step is. They'll be here this morning to share with you what the next step. I'll be there at the back. But I pray that you respond to God's work. Father, let us do so. Let us realize that you've called us more than just read and say amen. But Lord, we are to transform our lives through the Holy Spirit's work. Our job is just to pursue holiness with full abandon. Lord, despite whatever the circumstance, the consequences, let us pursue holiness by loving others in these three areas. Show us where we're deficient, make us sufficient, and Lord, that you may be glorified in all things, and that others may see our love and be pointed back to you, that they too may find forgiveness of sin and a reconciliation with their creator. I thank you for this time. In your name we pray. Amen. We hope you have enjoyed this week's Walking in Faith podcast. We encourage you to share this podcast with others in order to help spread God's message to all those in need. If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. Email us at walkinginfaith@orangevilla.org. You can help us spread this podcast by writing a review at iTunes. And don't forget to visit us online at orangevilla.org. There you will find more information about our ministry, as well as share your thoughts, submit prayer requests, and find out how you can help others to grow in God's love. Until next week, may God bless you in everything you do.